December 29th, 2022, this morning's class and the classes throughout the week were and are donated Le'idui Nishmat Eliyahu Ben Miriam Elliot R. Shalmei and in loving memory of Michael Fallis, Moshe Ben Rachel by Solomon Fallis. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf Pechet Amud Aleph. If you count from the top of the Amud down, it's 15 lines down. The very middle of the line says Hek Deshot. If you recall the context, and I... I won't promise, but I'll give you my words. The last day we're repeating this context. The context of our Gemara is an initial beraita, which we had on Daf Pezayim. It went through many cases that I shot from Pesukim with regards to Zaken Mamre. What establishes a person as what we refer to as that rebellious elder. Zaken Mamre is put to death with Henek for his dispute with Betin Hagadol. There were many different circumstances. However, Seemingly, uh, in a contradictory statement, we had another Beraita later on the Amud and of Bezaim, where Rabbi Meir made his opinion clear. The only circumstance wherein uh, the dispute of a Zaken Mamre will establish him as such and give him mitat chenek, or death, pe- death penalty of uh, strangulation, is in circumstances where he's disagreeing with a halakha, with a law, a mitzvah, an avera, which is of the level and status of zidono karet veshigigato hatat, which means to say it needs to be an issue, a matter which has a lot at stake with regards to the penalty, the the circumstance of uh, a person who would, uh, or the consequence of a person who would transgress following this zaken mamre as opposed to the betin. A lot of those cases didn't seem so severe. Uh, we'll see today when we talk about, for example, leket shikham peah, when you talk about those misvot of giving to poor people, uh, it's very important. Tzedakah is a very important uh, part of our lives, of every Jew's life. Is it really zidono karet? Are you really going to find a circumstance where if we followed the zaken mamre, <coughs> there would somehow, some way, be a karet if you followed him as opposed to another? So that's what Rav Papa, over the course of the last amud and a half, and much of this amud is setting out and has set out to do, to explain and resolve each one of these cases, how they can and would accord with Rabbi Meir's opinion. So the last on that three list that we had, we had Haramim, and we had Hekdeshot uh, is the one we're going to address, and we had Arachin with regards to verbal utterances, what a person can say, and in turn establish, which might lead to somehow Karet, if the Zaken Mamre, if this person who's disagreeing with Betin Hagadol disputes specific matters. So Hekdeshot, we know that word, Hekdesh, Milashon Kadosh, it's when you sanctify something. Under what circumstances, what type of situation can you conjure up for us, Rav Papa, where the Zaken Mamre might be going against Betin Hagadol with the severity at, at hand, at risk, of Zedono Karet Biplukta Ben Yaakov Rabbanan. Perhaps it would be dealing with a situation along the lines of the Mahloket, Pelukta means dispute, Mahloket of Rabili Ezeb Ben Yaakov and the Chachamim. What's that? The Tanya, after all, we have a Beraita which teaches Rabili Ezeb Ben Yaakov Omer, Afilu Sinora Shel Hektesh Sericha Asara Bene Adam Liftota. Period, uh, which means to say the following. Uh, we had this already on Daf Yodalit, so I told you we're going to have some Hazara. Here's another Hazara, Daf Yodalit. We had a Mahloket. It goes like this when a person sanctifies something for the Mikdash, 
And then, I don't know, for some reason or another, they change their mind. So the example over here is something very small, a sinora, some sort of small um, uh, fork, which would be used, as she says, in order to weave gold. All right, so you're dealing with some sort of small utensil. Let's consider it very low value. And a person, for one reason or another, decided at some point wholeheartedly with their full mind in it, this is going to be hekdesh, but then they changed their mind. Now you need to redeem it. Anytime something's kadosh, if you want to now own it, you have to find a way to redeem it. You need to evaluate how much it costs and you need to redeem it from mikdash. You need to turn to the gizbar, to the person who's in charge of the mikdash, of all their financial things, of all their belongings, and you need to redeem it. How do you determine the value of that sinora, uh, that mazleg, shetovimbo, zahav, says Rashi, again, that that utensil for weaving gold in some way or fashion. Uh, so there's a mahloket about this. The first opinion is that of the hachamim. Hachamim say you need a betin of three. You need three people who are convening and they are evaluating. They're not just determining, they're evaluating uh, how much is this thing, how much is in turn is the guy gonna have to pay. Alternatively, you have the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says you need 10. Even for that small utensil, you need 10 men to evaluate. And the Gemara and Daf Yodali told us they have a mahloket based on their understanding of pisukim. But fundamentally then, here's the circumstance. You have something which is hekdesh. You've established it as hekdesh. You want to redeem it. You've gone ahead and you redeemed it. You followed, for argument's sake, the betin hagadol's pesach halacha on this matter, and you took a betin of three, and you redeemed it, and you're holding on to that money now. Why is that? That's your money. Um, you gave it to uh, you gave it to Kodesh and you redeemed that mazleg. Uh, you redeemed that uh, that sinora. Now, uh, whatever the circumstance is, in having this item, let's say again we could conjure up anything going fo- forward. You took that item and you mekadesh a woman with that item. That item belong to you, or does it belong to Kodesh? Alternatively, you took the money which you had redeemed with, which no longer belongs to you, should be Kodesh, according to the Hachamim, but according to the Bilyaz ben Yaakov, the redemption meant nothing because you didn't have a betin of 10, and you take that money and you're a Kodesh woman. In other words, you take this situation and you follow the opinion uh, either of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov or of the Hachamim, and you're using something which is a dispute whether it belongs to you or not. According to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, unless there were 10 judges determining this case, nothing was effectuated. So the money that I put down, $100 in order to redeem this uh, tissue box, that $100 is worthless. That $100 is still mine. I didn't give it to Kodesh, and the tissue box is still Kodesh. According to the Hachamim, it's quite the... What's that? According to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, according to Hachamim, it's no longer mine. According to Hachamim, I only needed three people. I had three people. I gathered three of you, you're wonderful judges. The money is no longer mine, but the item is now mine. That's the question. And now I either took the item or I took the money, and depending on whose opinion you follow, one of them is mine, the other is not. Amikadesh, a woman, the Mishnah we mentioned several times, Masechet Kiddushin and Dafnun Bet, says that if you take a matter which is stolen and you try to be Mikadesh, a woman with it, it's not a proper Kiddushin, it's not a proper engagement. That being the case, you're taking money over here and using it as if it's yours, but it's not really yours. I'll give you better than that, or different than that, as Rashi kind of has it over here. What if now I am nehene min hakodesh? I get benefit from the kodesh in some way. So now I, I redeemed, I redeemed it, and now I use some of that in an inappropriate way. 
what's the halacha and so it's a, you know, a lot of far-fetched stuff here but that's the way it works you did a me'ila that's called me'ila you were mo'il ba kodesh depending on what is kodesh now I use that one opinion says that was me'ila that's inappropriate uses of kodesh the other opinion says that wasn't kodesh you already redeemed it or you didn't redeem whatever the situation is now I need to bring a korban the korban is called the korban asham me'ilot what if I now take that korban Hashem me'ilot and I eat from it betum'ah? What's the halacha when you eat from Kodesh betum'ah? Your hayav karet. The point being in these cases, much as in the last case and many of the other cases, as long as I can bring the debate underhand to a point where there's going to be a dispute which can lead one step removed to a karet situation, and we had in each of these cases until now, that is, uh, in turn, considered zakin mamre. There's a hidush in all these statements of Rav Papa, because Rabbi Meir's words on their own suggest that the case at hand needs to be of that severity. Rav Papa is suggesting, no, 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 not the case at hand. The case at hand, one step removed. The question over here of whether this uh, tissue box is Kodesh or the money is Kodesh, that's not a karet situation. It's what I then do with it. That in turn is how the Gemara of Papa resolves this. All right, we have some more. Rivot. The Pasuk said, We can refer to when we talk about disputes, fights. What sort of situations are under the heading of fights that would make a person a zaken mamre? Hashka'at sotav arifata egla. Uh, what are these? Well, some of us are familiar with a, a few of these. Hashka'at Sota, the Torah Parashat Naso, talks about a woman who uh, seems to be a promiscuous woman, a woman whose husband suspects her of having relations with another man. Now, the Torah seems clear, and the Mishnah at the very beginning of Masechet Sota points out that you need two stages in terms of dealing with such a woman in the appropriate Torah fashion. Number one, there needs to be what's called kinui. Kinui means that the husband to this wife has a warning. He issues a strict warning at which the there have to be, everybody agrees, two witnesses. Two witnesses need to hear the husband saying to her, do not um, put yourself, or find yourself in a secluded area with this man. That's clear. Then there needs to be what's called stirah. Then there needs to be some realization that she didn't listen to that warning and she did seclude herself with that man. Do you need two witnesses on that second stage or not? Is it sufficient if the husband just saw her secluding herself? Is it sufficient with one witness or not? That's what we're going to see as a matter of dispute. Okay, the other issue of here is arifat ha'igla. Arifat ha'igla is a reference to a'igla arufa. What is a'igla arufa? Well, we mentioned the a'igla arufa, of course, mentioned in the Torah. In Sefer Devarim, it's a circumstance where a body is found outside of two cities and you're determining what to do with this dead body unfortunately now the cities need to take uh, responsibility for this it might not have been found within the city but it was probably one of the inhabitants of one of these cities who put this person to death we need to deal with that. We have a responsibility in uh, keeping justice and keeping righteousness in our uh, environment. Uh, so the halakha is that you have to measure from the cities that are most adjacent to this body, and then the city most close, or the closest city to that body, is now responsible for a ceremony known as the igla arufa. You take this calf and you uh, break the neck and you have a, a certain recitation which is inspiring the people and giving responsibility to the leadership. How do you determine which is the closest city? Uh, let's say it's very, very close. You're in between two cities, and it's almost equidistant. Uh, do you go based on the head of the body? Do you go based on the navel, the, the belly button of the body? Do you go based on the neck of the body? That's going to be a dispute on this matter as well. Each of these will yield a davar zedono karet. Well, we'll talk about it in just a moment. So here we go. So that, that says the Gemara again, let's deal with each of these cases 
the first wide line, uh, this might be the Zakin Mamre's dispute with the Beitin. We can imagine this as a case where uh, it's similar to the Mahlokid of Rabbi Li'ezer and Yoshua Ditnan as the Mishnah at the very onset. The first, uh, first Mishnah. Yeah, the first Mishnah in Masechet Sotah says, Hamekane Li'ishto, person who has. Kinui, that was strict warning to his wife. Rabbi Li'ezer Omer, Mekane al pi shenayimu mashke al pi had. Oh, al pi asmo. Says Rabbi Li'ezer, again, based on his understanding of the Pesukim, he says, listen, the next stage, what we call sitira, doesn't need witnesses. The woman is established and considered a sota, even if you don't have any one person, even the husband or one witness, just to behold, it's not testifying, the fact that she was then uh, secluded with that man uh, about whom she was warned. That disagrees with him. Rabbi Yoshua, man, mekane al pishenaim, umashke al pishenaim, says Rabbi Yoshua. It's not so. It needs to be with two witnesses, the stira as well. All right, How would you find the ramification with regards to zidono karet? All right, here we go. A few stages removed. It goes like this. If a woman is in a situation where she then had stira, kinui and stira, all the stages have checked out. She then needs to be in the mikdash and the mishkan. She needs to drink those mehatat. The Torah describes water which is taken from the kior, from the, the holy utensil in the mikdash and the mishkan, taken from some of the sand, the dirt of the floor of the mishkan, for one reason or another. And then a specific parchment which has the swearing in of this woman is kind of dissolved into that potion, that water, and then she needs to drink it. And then, so to speak, the Torah tells us God plays his role in discerning and deciding what's taking place. So here she is. She had kinui and she had an appropriate stira de- determined based on Bili or Yoshua, whether with two witnesses or not. And now she says, I'm not drinking that. Or you're not drinking it. You must drink it. I refuse to drink it. Is there some punishment? We call it, we're not going to kill her. We don't have witnesses about the act of relations. We have just everything leading up to it. We have what the Torah prescribed as the necessary stages to sota. I will not drink from that. So we say to her, okay, you lost your rights to the kitubah after divorce from a husband. Once upon a time, a lot more financially significant than today. But the kitubah then was with divorce, the husband's estate or the husband himself paying the woman. So she now has some money to work with. She can now reestablish herself in some way. She loses all rights to that. Okay, so let's reconstruct. Construct the case. Question. Oh, let's reconstruct the case. So here we are. There was Kinui and there was Sitira. Let's make the case as follows. There was Kinui, the warning was with two witnesses. The Stira, one witness, just the husband, brings her into court. I must drink this. I refuse to drink from this. I'm not drinking from this. All right, no problem. I mean, it's terrible. Okay, I'm going to give you a get, a dear wife, and you lost your Kitubah. That's the situation. She now, or she now, sells her Kitubah. She had rights to it. She did. She could have sold it, as Judah talked about yesterday. She could sell the rights to the Kitubah to anyone. So I want to invest in some in the Kitubah market. And so I hear that she's selling her Kitubah. I buy the rights to the Kitubah. I am now holding on to the Kitubah. Now, did she really lose her rights to the Kitubah or not? Well, it depends. There were no two witnesses on the second stage, on the stira. According to the Bili Ezer, well, it doesn't matter. She lost her rights to the Kitubah. She's a sota. According to the Bioshua, where she only needs one witness, only needs one person to see it, so she lost her rights. So in such a circumstance, she, there was one witness, and she did lose her rights to the Kitubah. It's a mahluk, whether she lost her rights to the Kitubah or not. I'm holding on to the Kitubah. I bought it from her. Fair, fair deal. I paid her the money for the Kitubah. 
I now, listening to the situation, I don't care about any of those details. I'm holding on to the, I paid money for this ketubah. Where's that husband of her? Oh, that guy? I no problem. I enter it. I say, I don't, I don't, I don't care about that ketubah. That ketubah is worthless. She lost her rights to the ketubah. No, no, no. The, hus- the husband hasn't given it to her. She lost her rights to it, according to the second opinion, right? So she may have lost her rights to it, even though there was no witness. That's the question over here. He's claiming she lost her rights to it. I walk into the husband's house. I say, she didn't lose her rights to it. So she absolutely did. I see a beautiful vase on the husband's table over there. I grab the vase. I see uh, uh, his TV and his computer, old, uh, I don't know what else, his watches and his jewelry. And I walk out of the house with all the value of the ketubah. I says, what are you doing? I said, this is all my rights. I'm allowed to be tofes. I'm tofes, all those things. Are all those things mine or not? Well, that's a debate. If she only needed, if he only needed one witness on the stira, all those things are... Not mine, they're his, because she didn't lose her rights to this, because she lost her rights to the ketubah. Alternatively, if he needed two witnesses on the sitira, and he only had one, she never lost her ketubah. She doesn't need a drink from the mesota. The money then, the value that I took from the husband's estate is all either stolen in my hands or rightfully mine. I take that money on Mikadesh, a woman with it. Of course, this is our conclusion of the matter. Is she now Ishadish or not? That's the situation, perhaps, that might be led into via Zaken Mamre disputing a matter like this with regards to a sota. Arifat Egla. What would the situation where there be a dispute with regards to Egla, Arufa? You have to appreciate the creativity at the very least, all right? It might be we're taking in all sorts of directions, but I mean, you know, so quickly from one case to another, all intricate details. Arifat Egla Biplukta Akiva. With regards to Arifat Egla, again, that situation, which we mentioned earlier, Egla Arufa, when the body's found in between the two cities and you're trying to determine which one's the closest one, there happens to be a mahlokit between the Tanaim, the rabbis from the time of the Mishnah. Ditnan, as the Mishnah says, me'ayin hayu modedin. As I mentioned to you earlier, how would you be moded? How would you measure which is the closest city? Three-way mahlokit. Rabbi Akiva says from the Hotam, uh, the hotam is the nose of the person. Uh, Rabbi, excuse me, the bilias is from the tibor, from the navel, from the belly button of the of the person. Biakiva says from the hotam, from the nose, and Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says from the place where he's established as, generally speaking, a halal, a corpse. When based on a pasuk in Yehezkel, the Gemara elsewhere tells us that's the neck. This is a three-way mahlokit. Let's say this body is literally in the middle over there, closest, that's right. If you went based on the head, it's closest to city A. If you go based on the navel, it's closest to city B. So each one of the cities bring their egla arufa. Each one of the cities, and nah, there's mahlokit on this matter. There's akin mamrez, disputing betin hagadol on this matter. And as a result, one city's doing another one. That's what's, everything's going on over here. Maybe even three cities, if there's somehow a third one and that's equidistant or you know, so close. Whatever, let's assume it's two. Now, the halakha is, furthermore, that if a person has in their possession egla arufa, it's asur bahana'a. You can't be mikadesh a woman with it either. All right, is this an Egla Arufa or not? Was it closest to city A or to city B? Well, it depends which opinion I follow. As a result, a person takes that Egla Arufa, assuming that it wasn't the closer one. Is Mekadesh a woman? Is she Mekudesh or is she not? You're playing again with Eshetish. You're dealing with Davash Zidono Karet. That's the suggestion of the Gemara for how, or of Rav Papa, for how you'll find the situation. Wait, 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 wait. That, the, that, 
The animal's dead. I, I feel bad for this woman, but the woman, you walk, not you, this man walks up to her and says, listen, I know, honey, things are going to get better financially, but at the current state of being, this is the best I can do for Kiddushin. You hand her a, a, a calf whose neck has been uh, broken. And she holds on to it and says, uh, or not. Well, it depends. If it actually was Eglarufa because it was closest to the city, and that's that city that we're dealing with, the, the dead body, so then it's Eglarufa, she's not Mikudeshet. If alternatively, the measurement is done differently, and it's really that the body was closer to the other city, and this is from the city who was measuring it based on one of the other opinions, it, was, uh, it wasn't actually closer, we just thought it was, then that Eglarufa is Mutarbana. It's not an Eglarufa at all, it's just a calf whose neck was broken. Eglarufa is only going to be one. I have two cities here. Each one of them going, let's say, according to a different opinion. I'm making this, you know, whatever. Uh, one of them is the Eglarufa. Betin Hagadol says it's based on the Tabur. It's based on the navel. This uh, Zakin Mamre says, no, it's not based on the navel, it's based on the neck. And as a result, that's an Eglarufa and that one's not. A person now takes the Eglarufa based on the Zakin Mamre or the other way and is Mekadesh a woman with it. Is it Kiddushin or not? So it'll depend. And ultimately speaking, it'll depend whether she's married or not, which in turn leads to Eshet Ish, Davash Karet situations. Lastly, Taharat Mesora, what type of situation in purifying someone who has Sarat? We dealt already yesterday with Nige'i Batim, with Nige'i Adam, with Nige'i Bayim, so on and so forth. Now we're going to deal with Taharat Mesora, the way that you're purifying, not establishing the, uh, the, uh, the impurity of the person, but bringing forth the Tahara of the uh, of the mesora if the zakin mamre disputes disagrees with the betin hagadol on a matter similar to the dispute of Rabbi Shimon and the hachamim what's that ditnan here's the way it works the torah says in parashat mesora of course um, that if you're looking to purify a person who had sarat uh, there needs to be a, a, a circumstance where you take um, you take the uh, a log shemen you take a, a, a certain amount of, of oil and you take a korban and you take from the blood of the korban of the asham mesora and from the oil that you brought and you mix it together I think but at the very least you take from the two of them and you put it onto three places on the uh, on the uh, on, on the, the person who has sarat's uh, body, you put it onto bohen yadohai manit, bohen raglohai manit, and ozen yeminit. For one reason or other, the right hand side is the integral part of the sarat uh, purification. It's on his right thumb, on his hand, right thumb toe, and the right ear. That's what you do. You take the oil and you sprinkle it on. That's that's what's done. It seems funny. It is funny. We'll have to, on another occasion, figure out the significance. But for now, what if, I don't know, either the person was born with a deformity, over the course of their life they needed it amputated or got cut off in some way or fashion, they're missing a right ear, they're missing a right thumb, they're missing a right thumb toe. Or can they now be purified as a misora or not? We're going to see that's a mahloket. Well, now you can already figure out. If they're not purified, According to one opinion, they entered into the Mikdash. But according to the other opinion, they were purified. According to one opinion that they're purified, entering into the Mikdash, there's nothing wrong with that. They were purified. According to the opinion that they're not purified, they're tameh, they entered into the Mikdash. Karet, that's the type of dispute that the Zakin Mamre may have had. But here it is, en lo bohen yad. If a person doesn't have a right thumb, bohen regel doesn't have a right uh, thumb toe. Uh, ozen yamanit, who doesn't have a right ear. 
En lo tahara olamit. The first opinion, the Chachamim says there is no tahara. The person, unfortunately, stuck as a misora forever, for eternity. disagrees. He says, put it in the place where the right thumb, thumb, toe, ear would have been halas. The ear was amputated, the one with that. Okay, so you put it where it would have been. Rabbi Shimon says, no, not in the place. He says, this whole right side. Yeah, that's lechatahila. That's if he has it. You don't have a right side, put it on the left side. Noten al shel simol period. Again, let's now bring it forth. So the person was done in one of these fashions. The Zaken Mamre is disputing Betin, and the person in turn is following one of these ways. But Betin HaGadol, let's say, says, no, it's got to be the right side. And the fellow says, the Zaken Mamre, no, it can even be the left side, it can even be the place of it. person does so, and then they're walking around and enter into the Mikdash, eating from Kodashim. What's their status? Well, according to the Betin Hagadol, this person's Hayav Karet, it means we're dealing with, we're disputing a matter which has the severity with regards to its transgression of Karet. Okay, last says, says the, um, says, said, said the Beraita earlier, Bish'arecha, it's matters and disputes that are in your gates. And the interpretation of in your gates was Pesukim that refer to in your gates, Zeleket Shechau Pe'ah, this is what I mentioned earlier at the beginning of class, it's going to be the most startling. Really? Leket Shechan Pe'ah are the mitzvot, we call those matenot aniim. It's what you give to poor people. When we were once agriculturalists, we worked in the field, there were specific circumstances, situations where you must, according to the Torah's command, leave stuff, uh, items in the field for poor people. Now there's some sort of dispute. Whatever we come up with over here between the Zaken Mamre and the Betin Hagadol, you're dealing with Davash Zedono Karet? At this point, we shouldn't be that confused about that because we know it's only one step removed. If it's actually Leket Shechan Pe'ah and the Ani now takes it as Mekadesh, a woman with it, so she's Mekudeshit. If it's not, she's not Mekudeshit. You're going to find that type of situation. Alternatively, does it actually belong to the person and not to the Ani? And the person who owns the field uses it to be Mekadesh, a woman. Same type of situation. Okay, so that's really, you know, we got the technicalities out of the way, how we're going to get there. But what are the specifics with regard to what sort of dispute might you have? What sort of mahlukot are there? Among many, uh, let's start with leket. What is leket? Leket is a situation where a person is working in their field, their workers are working for them, them in the field, and um, uh, uh, some, uh, uh, not stalks, what's it called? Uh, yeah, stalk. A stalk or two or three have fallen. So they're, they're cutting and they're picking them up. One or two or three have fallen. If it's one, sto- one stalk, they certainly need to leave it. If it's two stalks as well, they need to leave it. What do I mean by leave it? Leave it for a poor person. They're not allowed to take possession of it. What if it's three? Now, this is all based on Pesukim. So on it's three, we're going to see it's a mahloka between Beit Shammai and Beit Hilel. Okay, so in turn, if there were three stalks, according to one opinion, that is leket, according to the other opinion, it's not leket, it means there's a question about what is the status of these stalks. If these stalks, I know a little bit of a sad way to be Mekadesh, maybe sold the stalk and you got the money with it, but the question is, again, is it actually yours or is it stolen? Ditnan sheneshi bolin leket, the first opinion here says that two stalks specifically is leket, the second opinion says shelosha enan leket, if it's three stalks above two, uh, you don't don't need to leave it for the poor person, you take it, you can pick it up. Okay, and that's mahlokit. 
as I mentioned a moment ago, shikicha. Okay, that's that's not a mahlok. That that that, that will be just like shikicha mahlok between bet shemay and That's leket. That's the first opinion. The opinion of betilim. What about shikicha along the same lines? Shikicha instead of talking about a stalk deals with a sheave. What's a sheave? A omer. A sheave. I think it's like a bushel. It's what Yosef. I know it from the pictures in the art school book, right? It's those bushels, small bushels, were bowing down to Yosef. That's what a a uh, a, a sheave is. Uh, we call it omarim. I'm sure someone can give me specifics on that. Question is as well: Shecha means you left behind, you forgot as you were, you know, uh, loading up your uh, wagon or your truck. You left behind one uh, one uh, sheave. Must be left for the poor people too. Must be left for the poor poor people. What about three? According to Beit based on their understanding of the Pesukim, three, you're allowed to pick up that much loss for the owner of it. Uh, we don't demand that you leave it for the poor person. Two, you must leave it for the poor person. Again, Bet Shammai will disagree. So again, it says the Mishnah, Sheneshi Bolin Leket, Inan Leket, the opinion of Bet Shikha, what about when it comes to uh, forgetting the sheaves? Shene Omarin, Shikha, Shiloshai, Inan Shikha. The Alkulan, and on both on Leket and on Shikha, Bet Shammai, Omrim, Shalosh Le'ani, Varbah Le'alabai. Bet Shammai disagrees, and they say the cutoff is. Four. If it's four that were left behind, four that dropped, then it belongs to the owner, the initial owner. If it's three, it goes even to the poor person. Again, it's a question of possession. Next, pea. We have one more on this list over here. Pea. What is pea? Pea is as well matenot aniim. It's the prescribed, commanded uh, uh, something that you need to leave for poor people, according to the Torah. It's a corner from your field which needed to be set aside for the poor people. Ideally, seemingly, what's that? It could be harvest, uh, harvested in terms of cutting, correct. And ideally, you, you spoke me right into it, Eli, ideally should not be harvested at all. You leave it for the poor people and it's still growing. What if you already cut it down? What if you went further than cutting it down, you already milled it? What if you went even further than that, you already turned it into dough? Under those sorts of circumstances, can it and should it still be pe'ah? You shouldn't have done it. You should have left it while it was standing. Can it still be pe'ah even if I did those subsequent stages? And again, this will tap us back into the mahloket, the, 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 the mahloket of the zaken mamre. He's disagreeing with Betin. The question is, who do these things uh, belong to? Yeah, yeah, the dough. Is the dough now? I, I have this dough. And, oh my goodness. Uh, Robbie, you're supposed to get pe'ah. I didn't see any pe'ah in your field. So, I don't know, my wife is already making dough. So it's interesting, you, you, you might you'd say it's better for the poor person. Before I get to the dough, I'll tell you the other stages are not better necessarily. Once you milled it and you already smoothed it over in your storehouse, now the status of any of that grain is hayab b'ma'asir. You now need to tithe it. When it's given to the poor person, they don't need to tithe it. They don't need ma'asir. There's no, there's no ma'asir on any of these matinotanim. Once you already smoothed it over, it's called mirua hakiri. In such a circumstance, you're not hayab ma'asir. Not so good for the poor person. He'd rather get it. An earlier stage, but what if you already took the maaser and now you already turned it into dough? It would be bejen, it'd be fantastic for the poor person. Alternatively, the counter argument will be: No, 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 he can't take possession of it any longer. Why not? Because it's what what happens is the same way in a terrible circumstance: a person steals from another and changes it. It's called shinui. Shinui is kone, which means say, I steal from you uh, your grain. I walk into your house and I take your flour and I turn it into bread. 
yeah, Rabbi, we have you on uh, video that you said, well, barged into my house and you took my, uh, my flower, uh, give it back. I say, flower? There's no flower in my house. Come check my house, there's no flower. You walk in and there's bread in the oven, uh, that bread. Say, I'm sorry, I can give you the value. You have me on video, I'll give you the value, but the bread now is mine. As a result, over here as well, the idea of there being shinui on something that, yes, was rightfully the poor person's, no longer establishes as something that I owe them in the actual item. You call it mamonche in lo and as a result, I'm not liable to that. That's going to be the question. In all these sorts of situations, what if the poor person enters into my home, grabs the dough, and says, oh, This is mine? I say, It's not yours. I can maybe give you the value. He runs away with the dough. A Kadesha woman, all those sorts of situations. So here it is, says Gemara, this, uh, this issue of Pe'ah, Bipluta Derbi Ishmael Drabanan Ditnan, there's a Mishnah that says, Mitzvat Pe'ah, what is the Mitzvah Pe'ah? Ideally, Lehafrish, Lehafrish, Min Hakemah. Min hakama, I'm sorry, min hakama. Kama is when the stalks are standing before they're harvested, as we said earlier. That's the ideal. That's mitzvah. Lohi frish min hakama. You didn't do it when it was standing in the field. Yafrish min omarin. So then take it and say, okay, these sheaves, which were already bundled together, so this is for the poor people. You didn't do it even at that stage, but it's your responsibility. It's what you need to do. Lohi frish min omarin. Yafrish min hakeri. Even when it's now milled and collected in the storehouse, that's what we call the keri. So you walk in, you separate, and you say, okay, this is for the poor people. You still haven't lost out on your responsibility. But once you did what's called the final, the gemar ma'aseh, the final act in that storehouse, is miruah. Miruah means you smooth it over. You have your utensil, you have your hand, you smooth it over. That's when we say, ah, now that's set aside. Now it's hayav ma'aseh. Mireho me'aseh venotenlo. If you already smoothed it over, we don't say, okay, poor person, come in and take. Then you take the ma'aseh, and then you give it to the poor person. Mishum rabi Ishmael amru. And here's the last opinion that we mentioning earlier, Bishmael says, even though you did it on it, it's still a matter which is belonging to the poor people. Under those circumstances, in that situation, the status of that dough is up in the air. What if that dough was seized on one way or another, either by the poor person, you took it back, or the poor person, and they on their own go and Mekadesh, a woman, you're dealing with a situation of karet, and in turn, even according to the Bimeir. With this, we conclude and a daf and a half of discussions, as we said, of that beraita, which went through all those cases, squaring it with the severity mandated by the bimeir of davash zedonon karet in order to establish a zaken mamre. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen. Amen.